Hello and welcome to What on Earth, the podcast of the Environmental Investigation Agency or EIA. I'm Paul Newman, EIA's Press and Communications Officer and joining me today is forest campaigner Thomas Chung. Now, EIA has been working on forestry issues in Vietnam for more than a decade and in that time we've produced multiple reports and exposés of illegal logging and criminal timber flows into the country. As we record this podcast on the 30th of October 2020, new timber import regulations came into effect today in Vietnam, which is currently implementing a bilateral agreement with the European Union intended to keep illicit timber out of its huge wood furniture industry. Thomas, to put it bluntly, why should people care about what's going on in Vietnam with this timber sector? Well, Paul, people should care because of the scale of the Vietnamese industry and the subsequent consumption of timber, which is often from unverified or illegal sources. So timber products are a major article in Vietnam, creating significant turnover for the nation's economy. And this is projected to keep growing. So if you look back 10 years to to around 2010, for example, the export of uh, timber products was worth around 3.4 billion US dollars from Vietnam. And by 2019, this had almost tripled to around 11.5 billion US dollars. And it seems that the sector is on track of matching that figure or even exceeded this year, despite the effects of the global pandemic. Now, the question is, of course, where the raw material for the industry comes from. So the domestic supply in Vietnam is insufficient to meet industry demand. And the answer is that the supply gap is filled with imported timber. Now, we have to point out that uh, large quantities of softwood and non-tropical hardwood are part of this, which is sourced mainly from North and South America, as well as Europe. But um, more concerningly, there is the issue of tropical timber, species like padaug, koso, teak, balau, and of course, rosewood, which is traditionally sourced from the neighboring countries like Laos and Cambodia, but nowadays also from further fields like the African regions, for example. So why is that a problem? Um, The first thing that understandably comes to people's mind is the important issue of deforestation and the impact on climate change. So when you take a tree, the ecosystem service like carbon sequestration, soil retention, and of course wildlife habitat is immediately lost as a directly visible impact. But there are many more, at first glance, less visible underlying issues Um, Often timber is taken in violation of the rights of forest communities, raising issues of human rights, or from protected areas like national parks, raising issues on conservation. And uh, timber is often stolen with the assistance of bribed officials, raising issues of poor governance and corruption. So um, ultimately, all of these problems could be embedded in a wood product when the legality of a timber source cannot be verified and such a product would end up in consumer markets. That's why it is so important when trying to tackle the issue of illegal timber to address this at source, or in other words, to ensure that timber entering a supply chain is legal, taking into account all the aforementioned underlying issues. Exactly. Um, now, the kind of products that Vietnam makes, where do they end up? I mean, what are their major export markets for their wood furniture industry, for example? So major markets are clearly the U.S. accounting for a good quarter to 30, 35% of the the total products. But um, a lot of this is also exported to the EU, for example. 
So, yeah. It's my understanding from, obviously, I've been working with the Forest Campaign for some years now and on various of the reports that they've done. Um, back in the day, it was um, timber being illegally felled in places like Laos um, and, and neighbouring countries, um, spirited into Vietnam, turned into commercial wood products and then exported back out. Uh, I, I gather we're seeing, as you mentioned earlier, um, more and more of that timber being sourced from African nations. Um, in, in terms of like comparable levels of, of illegal timber flows or at least illicit timber flows, what, what are we seeing? Uh, is, is it still mostly being taken from its um, Southeast Asian neighbours or is it the bulk of that kind of raw material to Vietnam coming from Africa now? So in all fairness, we've seen that the total numbers are slightly down compared to previous years, both from Asia and from Africa. But that doesn't mean that the issue itself um, is resolved. So for the neighboring countries like Laos, for example, even though the total numbers have dropped, they're still importing logs from Laos despite a log export ban that had been issued in previous years. So in other words, none or any logs should ever be exported or imported from Laos. Um, the issue that we see with the neighboring countries is now more focused on the highly endangered species trait that comes from these countries. Um, for rosewood, for example, that has significantly dropped, but that is not because of the goodwill of the industry or better enforcement. The simple fact is that most of the rosewood has gone. Um, when we look at Africa, um, the numbers are also slightly down. But um, from the whole African region for 2019, it was still um, the third largest um, import source for Vietnam for timber. The, the European Union, as, as a, one of the markets, which is like the uh, destination for a lot of Vietnam's timber products, um, it, it's taken steps of its own in, in, in recent years to um, attempt to keep stolen wood and stolen wood products from its markets. I, I understand that the major mechanism for that is the European Union timber regulation or the EUTR. Um, and I think I'm right. Am I, am I right in thinking that the, the first time it came up with a voluntary partnership agreement was with Indonesia, um, which was the first country to get clearance to actually export its wood and wood products to the EU, which basically guarantees they, they know where the wood comes from and that there's no illegal timber being rinsed into the, into the general flow. Um, and that Vietnam has been um, fairly active for quite a while now in, in trying to set one of these up with the European Union on, on its own back. Um, how's, how's that process been? I mean, has it been, a, as an outside observer, has it been a more straightforward process than Indonesia kind of clearing house to get its own VPA up and running? Or has it been um, a more protracted process? Well, that's a, it's a good question, Paul. So um, if you look at demand side markets, there has been a, a drive to address the issue of illegal timber. So when you look at um, the EU, it is the European Timber Regulation, as you pointed out. For the US, it would be the Lacey Act. And for Australia, for example, it would be the Australian Illegal Logging Prohibition Act. And um, essentially what all of these have in common is that they're trying to um, clean the supply chains of using um, illegally sourced wood. Now, as you pointed out, one of the main mechanisms for the European Union is the instrument of forest law enforcement, governance and trade. 
um, or FLECT in, in short. And um, under this mechanism, um, it foresees a bilateral agreement that is to be signed with a timber product exporting country. So uh, in this case, um, Vietnam started the negotiations for their VPA all the way back in 2010. And after eight years of negotiating the terms um, of this agreement, um, it was finally signed in 2018 and it was ratified in 2019. And one of the key elements of this um, agreement with the EU is a timber legality assurance system. Now, what this does in a nutshell is that it has import and export controls for Vietnamese supply chains. And it's trying under previously agreed verifiers to rule out that timber from illegal sources can enter these supply chains. And um, what Vietnam or the Vietnamese industry gets in return is a direct access into the EU market if these verifiers are fully met. Now, overall, the EU has, I think it's 16 VPA negotiations currently, and the only country to ever fully get this scheme up and running is actually, as you pointed out, Indonesia, who um, started exporting wood under this FLECTI scheme uh, since 2016. If you look at um, the process in itself, it has an element of participation in it. And that is quite crucial to not only listen to the voices of industry or government, but also to listen to CSOs, NGOs, and um, people on the ground about what they deem should be legal timber. If I could interrupt for a moment, uh, when you say CSOs, are we talking about civil society, like um, self-actuating um, yeah, um, public groups which uh, monitor or keep an eye on? Yes. Rather like NGOs, they're kind of independent of government and independent of industry. Uh, yes, that is, that is essentially what we're talking about. And um, in the case of Vietnam, who traditionally follows a more top-down approach, it, this has obviously been a, a new learning experience as well to integrate these voices into such a process. Um, as opposed to Indonesia, for example, where the, the voices of civil society are quite strongly heard since the post-Suharto era, the experience with Vietnam has been slightly different. That is not to say that um, it, is, it is worse, but uh, it is different and more restricted in the way that these voices find expression into the actual policy making. As part of the problem for Vietnam being that as, as, a, as a, um, a political structure, the government has been used to um, having a, a flat, unaccountable control over, yeah, it basically does what it wants to do and no one says yay or nay either way, but now this process means it's actually got to start listening to community organisations and NGOs and, and you know, other actors. Yes, as part of this bilateral agreement, uh, a so-called multi-stakeholder core group was formed. And um, there are regular meetings of this group, and in it you will find representatives of industry, of NGOs, domestic and international, and of course the government. And um, as part of this mechanism, everybody has a chance to submit comments as to how to make the policy framework better. 
Um, EIA is part of this multi-stakeholder core group, and we have provided suggestions to the framework that will um, govern timber legality in Vietnam uh, back in August 2019. And um, subsequently, we now have um, a so-called timber legality assurance decree in Vietnam that will implement the import controls starting from today, as you've pointed out in your introduction. So, so in, in terms of um, yeah, looking at when the whole deal is, is finally done um, and Vietnam will be able to actually export its timber products to the European Union um, under a flag tea license as Indonesia has been able to do for some years now. Um, how far are we, are, we, are we away from that? I mean, uh, eight years seems, frankly to me, quite a long time to be in negotiations about something and, 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 and I guess there's still a way to go in some respects. Um, what's, what's the likely time frame and, and how do we feel about, you know, as, as a sort of a, a voice within that, um, within that forum, how do we feel about progress and the way it's shaping up? Now, if you look at the official roadmap, um, there's this quite ambitious idea that we will see the first FLECTI licenses as a test run from Vietnam by the end of next year, with the issuance of the first shipment in 2022. But um, given the complexity and the outstanding issues that we still see, I, I'm not sure if that is a, is a realistic goal at the moment. What sort of issues are we talking about? I know you guys did a briefing um, a few days ago um, looking at this, um, this this kind of stage in the negotiations and making recommendations as to certain things you felt should be given a bit of scrutiny by all the parties involved, you know, Vietnam government and the um, European Union particularly. Um, do you feel that our concerns are, or you know, those particular elements are going to get that attention? Um, are you happy with the way the process is, is kind of responding to these kind of queries? Well, since we've um, published a briefing, um, we haven't had another meeting yet, but we, we hope to do so in November. Um, I think to, to understand um, the issues, we would probably have to have a bit of a closer look at what happens um, under these new import controls. So when you want to import timber into Vietnam, there's a route into the supply chain that a trader or an operator that wants to bring timber into Vietnam has to observe. And um, one of the ideas there is that you need to check in the country of harvest if there are certain issues that would indicate that there are problems with timber legality. And you need to prove that you have taken measures that would mitigate this risk of illegality. And that concept is referred to as due diligence. Now, under the new Vietnamese import control, there are two special triggers that would mandate the trader or the operator to provide more documentation to prove that the timber is from a legal harvesting source. And he would prompt it to do so through two triggers. These are risk triggers which would essentially be a species risk trigger, which refers to um, you know, whether a species is endangered and whether it should be traded, observing um, the Vietnamese protection list or international list like CITES, for example, and also the country of origin risk trigger. 
And essentially, that is a list to be published by the Vietnamese government to indicate which countries would be deemed as low-risk countries for having a risk of timber illegality. Would you know at this stage what that list is likely to comprise? Which countries are liable to be on there? That is exactly one of our points. So when these import controls are effective following today, then so far these two lists have not been uh, publicly made publicly available. And um, if you think about this, it is, uh, it is an interesting move to move ahead with import controls without having communicated these two risk triggers. Um, considering it will take training and communication to the industry what these triggers are, even if these were to be issued, say, tonight at midnight, yes, then I, I would have serious concerns in regards to being able to import timber in compliance with the required due diligence, let alone uh, the poor customs officials who are tasked with uh, checking these shipments at the border. I mean, it is difficult enough in itself to identify different timber species. That in itself is such a huge task that takes export, expert knowledge. And if you don't even have clear risk triggers uh, made publicly available to you or you have been trained on them, how are you supposed to fulfill your checking function at the border, for example. Indeed, I mean, you're ba we're basically expecting people to be able to enforce a standard without knowing what the criteria actually are, effectively, aren't we? We're saying, yeah, stop it coming from certain countries, but we're not going to tell you which ones yet. And it's a bit exactly. of a farcical situation to expect them to run ahead with in, it. In an ideal world, these risk triggers would have been published way in advance before this um, import control takes effect. Who will actually be compiling um, this, this list? Is it done by the Vietnamese government itself, um, as in which it, countries are most um, likely to be the producers of, of uh, stolen timber? It is indeed. Um, this will be determined through an inter-ministerial working group, and then these will be published. Okay, so, but obviously um, it will be very useful for organisations like ours and for civil society um, to, to be able to have some sort of at least sight of it if not input into it. I mean, you might end up with countries on there that don't deserve to be on there. And I suppose, well, realistically, you might end up with countries left off the list of being um, risk triggers, which frankly should be on there. Well, if you, if you, there are, there are criteria specified in the actual agreement with the EU. And if you apply these indicators, then you already have an idea of which countries are on that list. But, uh, you know, as long as these have not been officially published, then um, this is just a, an unconfirmed list, obviously. Which countries would you anticipate seeing on that list, if it's not venturing your arm too far? Well, it's not. So by pure coincidence, you actually see that most of the countries that you would think of as high-risk timber countries are actually on there as, as high-risk. But that is not... Um, by by good governance, it's more, I would call it a happy little accident that that is the case. Yeah, okay. So w w which countries are we looking at, um, roughly? Um, are, we, are we talking about the, the neighboring countries where there's been a history of um, illicit timber flowing? Are we talking yes. about particular hotspots? Th those would be on there. The African regions would be on there. So m all of the main countries from which uh, Vietnam actually imports timber that you would deem 
high risk are actually on there as uh, geographic areas of high risk, yes. So, so just just to begin to pull back and take a bit of an overview, how how, um, how confident are you and, and your colleagues that this um, this process um, to legitimise um, and make sure that illegal timber is kept out of Vietnam's chains? Um, how confident are you that it's it's going the right way and it's going to end up robust and, and worthwhile? Well, it is it is a living process, as, as I would like to call it. Um, the way it stands at the moment, um, I would not be too happy, and um, I, I will I will tell you why. So, what this risk trigger that we spoke of actually mandates is that you need to sh have additional documentation proving legality. And there's there's an interesting question on governance here. So, is it enough to simply have any piece of paper? with a stamp saying this is legal, to prove legality to Vietnamese customs, for example. And, uh, you know, I would, I would strongly be of the opinion that it, that cannot be. Uh, it, simply the mere existence of a, of a piece of paper without checking the context in which this was issued cannot be enough to prove legality. If you, if you think about this, if you walk down the street and somebody tells you, sells you a TV from the back of his car and he says to you, uh, look, there's no issues here, it's perfectly fine, I've printed out a certificate, put a stamp on it and signed it, you would still have doubts about the legality of that TV, wouldn't you? Yeah, because the certificate itself might be just as, as dodgy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that is one of the, the big issues that we see um, that hasn't been sufficiently re resolved. And granted, this is a more complex issue, because you cannot interfere as a country with the governance, um, for example, in a source country. Yeah, it's, it's up to them to establish that good governance. But there is a responsibility if you fully subscribe to the idea of a mechanism to keep your supply chain free of legal timber. There's a certain responsibility that you do the most that you can to ensure that what is being brought forward is legitimate evidence. And that is something that in my opinion, we still see lacking a bit. And traditionally, um, I find that the stance of the Vietnamese government has been that um, they feel they did their bit and um, all the other problems are up to the other countries. Okay, obviously we don't see it that way. <laughs> um, finally, um, what's up next for you and your colleagues in, in terms of this process? What do you, what, what, what's your next, um, if you like, tranche of activities or, or outputs um, going to be focusing on? Well, we will be, um, we will keep engaging through the official mechanism in our role as the multi-stakeholder co-group member. But um, we obviously keep a close eye on um, timber flows into Vietnam, especially under the new import laws. And um, we will keep doing what um, EIA does best to, to verify and push for evidence-based policymaking to improve things like the Vietnamese timber legality assurance system at the moment. Excellent. Well, Thomas, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a, a pleasure chatting with you. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please watch this space for future episodes and check out our website at eia-international.org to find out more about our work. Thank you very much for joining us and wherever you are out there, do stay safe. <laughs>